Hey, everybody, this is Shukri. I'm coming to you at the top of this episode. Before we get into it, uh, just to let you know that this episode, as well as the next two or three, uh, were recorded prior to the election. So it is actually election night when I, I am recording this little preamble, just to let you know some of the things we talk about um, are without the result, which we still don't know, of the election. So just keep that in mind as you're listening. All right. On to the uh, actual intro. Yo, my guy, Shu. Yo. I want to tell you what we're going to talk about today on the Diversity Hires podcast. Greatest screenwriting podcast of all time. Which we've been told by our fans, by the way. Somebody actually wrote in and told us that. So I'm going to just take it as a statement of fact. Yes. Today, on the greatest screenwriting podcast of all time, we're going to be talking, we're going to be checking in with each other. We're going to see how we're both faring in this crazy, crazy world with our own personal writing. And you know, it's been a while since we've just said, hey, how's it going, Shu? How's it going, Sherm? So we're going to check in. We're going to talk a little bit about maintaining our mental health as young Black writers in this industry. And then we're also going to answer the age-old question, when should you move? Should you move? Where do you go if you're moving in order to chase your dreams as a screenwriter? All that and much more on today's episode of The Diversity Hires. Start the music. Yo, 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 back once again, it's the incredible The Diversity Hires, a podcast where Sherman Shu shoot the shit about screenwriting. We are two professional film and television writers living and working here in LA, and we come here every week to give you the realness, the realness of the business, the culture, and also, let's not forget the craft of writing for film and television with a distinctly black point of view. I'm Shukri Hassan Tillman, AKA Shu. And I'm your boy, the living embodiment of Courier Font. I wasn't really spitting game, I was just scrimmaging. Sherman Payne, the greatest screenwriter of all time. (laughs) My introductions are getting so elaborate. I like it, the the living embodiment of Courier Font. (laughs) I think I'm going to keep that one. But, yo, listen, as promised, I would like to um, look, you know, we we should just full disclosure. This is a podcast where we expose what we're doing at any given time. We tell you about our trials and tribulations with forming the podcast. We've experimented. If you're a faithful listener, you probably noticed we've experimented with slightly different formats. And we looked up uh, at our calendar and said, man, it's been a while since we've talked personally and talked about our own work and what's going on with us. So I wanted to check in with you, brother Shu, and see how's it going, man? How's it going in your writing? How's it going in your life? How are those two things influencing each other? How's the state of the world influencing every, all the above, man? How are you? Yeah, it's still a very strange and challenging time. There's no doubt about that. And I think actually as time goes on, 
the strange and challengingness of it becomes even more sort of uh, layered and I don't even want to call it just difficult because that feels like it wouldn't be enough of a uh, of a descriptor. Yeah. Uh, because I think for a lot of for all of us um, or many of us at least, no matter what you're doing, what industry you're in, or if you're unemployed or, or whatever age or station you find yourself in, I think the sort of triple threat I'll call it of the coronavirus, global pandemic. Um, mm-hmm. the, the sort of racial reckoning that, you know, hit the sort of hot flame, you know, sort of center in the middle towards the end of the summer and now seems to be in a different phase, which is even more sort of, um, uh, for me, at least draws some more reactions because things are still happening. Mm-hmm. You know, a man was murdered in Texas. I, I don't know when this will air, but, you know, not you know, two Saturdays ago, and a police officer was charged with murder. Um, and this is a guy who, you know, if it's true, seemed to suggest in his post before that uh, he didn't understand the sort of uproar about uh, uh, about police violence that was happening. And uh, he's dead at the hands of a police officer. Can I, the can election, I, say, can I yeah. say that? I'm so frustrated with that mentality. I mean, it's all, it's all across America, but especially when it comes to race issues, it's like I can't understand it, so it must not must not be true. Yeah. Well, newsflash: you're an idiot. You can't understand most things. If if our society relied on what you knew or could understand, we would have never advanced past the you know making stone tools. So, like, I don't understand why people people are so narcissistic. If I don't understand it, it must not be true. No, you're an idiot. You're an idiot. Shut up and listen. Listen to another person's experience. Yeah, I agree. I don't. I I don't even get that that notion. That if that, yeah, I don't understand it, you know what it is. It, it sort of lacks a certain empathy too, because yeah. if you if you have to sort of like experience it to believe it. Uh, it's a little bit of a, it's a little bit of a weird thing, but it's it's whack. It's it's a very. Yeah. I mean, you know, you if when you talk to any other cultures, especially foreign cultures of black and brown people, but even Europe to a certain extent, no other cultures really understand how Americans lack so much empathy. Like they're they're actually really baffled by it in a lot of ways, and it's it's always something that I think um, when. Immigrants come to, I'm married to an immigrant, and when immigrants come to this country, they're like, it's such a me society. People never mm-hmm. look outside their own blinders, and that's just not the way other other societies and cultures function. Yeah, totally. It's totally whack. It's why you can't get people to wear a mask. I mean, it's the same, it's the same thought pattern. Exactly. Why, why should I look out for you? Uh, I don't want to smell my own breath. So... <laughs> So fuck you. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, it's so stupid. But anyway, just back to the like, so having these, you know, coronavirus, racial unrest, and the mm-hmm. impending election, that's why I sort of call that the the triple threat. Not to mention all the things that go along with that. Um, and again, no matter where your station is, the fact that the economy is is crumbling and you know is going to in be in desperate need of recovery unless you're, um, you know, part of the few businesses 
that have really made a, you know, uh, have actually done well. Uh, Amazon is something that comes to mind, but you know, it's tough. So anyway, it, it makes, that's a long way way of saying it's a difficult time, but I also remain sort of grateful. I mean, you know, we have a career. We, We have work that is still going. Um, and you know, I'm grateful for that. My 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 family is here. I have two kids who you may hear in the background screaming mm-hmm. at a certain point or throwing a fit. Um, my wife is good, and so you know, you wrestle those two things. You know, sort of like all the things that are outside of this house that I can't control, mm-hmm. um, that weigh on me no matter what, or weigh on me regardless, but. At the same time, trying to maintain a sense of gratitude, everything in this house is actually pretty good. And I'm surrounded by people who I love and who love me. And, you know, there are things to be grateful for. So I try to lean on that, you know, as best I can. Well, that's actually a beautiful sentiment. How, though, does all of that, uh, all those conflicting feelings affect what you do for a living? I mean, how does it affect screenwriting? How do you maintain focus? with all those thoughts and feelings? You know what? It's like, that's a great question because it's really, it, it continues to be um, much harder to focus, mm-hmm. much harder to sort of get things done, so to speak, than it was in, you know, February. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just is. Um, and that has not stopped. I've gotten more and more used to it. And also sort of like started to we've talked about this a little bit, started to just kind of give myself a break. Like, just like, you know what? And I got to do a better job of this, but you're not going to get everything done. You yeah. everything on that list, you know, as if it were a normal time, it's just not going to happen, you know, and that's all right. Right. Um, and so it's been a little difficult. And then on the creative side, I will say like the, the stuff that's happening really makes the creative juices bubble and boil. And you, I want to put so much of that emotion and sentiment that I feel onto the page. Mm-hmm. But, but I, a lot of it feels like I bet that won't come out until like next year or the year after. Do you know what I mean? So you like mean the way you're feeling now, you feel like by the time something actually comes out, we'll be in, we'll have a totally different mood. You know, we should, that's a good yeah. point to say, like, we don't know when this podcast will air. So all your anxiety about the election. Uh, you know, if if Biden has won, people might be like, what the hell is he talking about? If Trump has won, <laughs> we're going to be deeper in a hole and deeper in despair. And, you know, the yeah. podcast might be canceled. <laughs> right. We might just stop. We might just stop. We got to like go get our Armageddon vehicles prepared. <laughs> why, why are you doing a podcast? You have to like fit your Honda Accord with like metal bars over the, For real. Over, I- over the windshield. Look, we have listeners uh, in ten different countries, so what? you know, feel free to write us, write us, and let us know where we should go. You know, because <laughs> yeah. we can bring the podcast. <laughs> it's mobile. <laughs> but yeah, man, that's what's that's what's going on. But I, but just to wrap that point, like yeah, the I just mean that, like I think creatively, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people can can relate to this. Creatively, when you're in an emotion, you know, look, I think the best writing and the best art obviously comes from an emotional, passionate place, whatever that emotion is. 
But I think when you're in the emotion, it's really hard to, you're still in the process part. Once you kind of get, you know that, I just heard uh, Black Thought's new album and he has a little like piece of it where he mm-hmm. talks about talking to Bobby Womack. And Bobby Womack said to him, you gotta go through it to get to it. Mm. And I think right now we're in the go through it part. You gotta go through it. But when, but, to get to it, meaning the the it, meaning like that creative spot where you can now write about it or sing about it or play about it or rap about it or whatever, mm-hmm. you got to go through the thing first. And I still think for me personally, I'm, I'm in the thing. I'm still going through the thing. But once mm-hmm. I get through it, then I can get to it creatively. So that might not, I don't know when that'll be. Yeah, I do think that the best writing about big traumatic societal events and and changes like war or some disease crisis like we're living through now or some political crisis like we're also living through now or some social unrest that we're also living through now um, comes in hindsight often, right? Like Mm -hmm. while we're in it, you know, it was a weird thing that like while the Iraq war was was raging, we were also getting movies about the Iraq war raging. And it always felt to me like, (laughs) How can we know what statement we're trying to make as it's still happening? It always felt weird yeah. to me. And it felt it, it felt to like indicate the exact problem with Hollywood's just like need to rush and put out product and to be a to be just, you know, a factory assembly line. That's another subject, Shakri. But mm. I do think your your sentiment about having to go through it in order to be able to really make an artistic statement about it is very, very relevant and uh that hits home for me. Yeah, bro. I, I I gotta throw the same question back to you, man. How how are you doing? What's what's up with you? Well, listen. I mean, I won't uh, reiterate all the points you made, but I feel a lot like you do about all the sort of societal issues that are going on right now. You know, we're in lockstep about that. It's a difficult time. It does take more mental energy to get through things now. You know, even the fact that we're recognizing that we're going through things. I don't think we were really recognizing these these problems and these issues and thinking so self-reflexively about our own writing process and how hard it is or how easy it is, right? Like you just sort of did it. Yes. In, in January of 2016, we were just sort of doing it. And now I hear writers and colleagues constantly filtering through the lens of self-reflection, like, okay, how do I work? Why am I working the way I am? How's my How is my work connecting to the greater world? How is the greater world affecting my ability to output product. So I think that it's it's something that we should keep talking about. And as long as we're in these huge times of turmoil, we should always be talking to each other about it. And that's one great thing about having friends who do the same thing that you do. You can always discuss openly your own trials and tribulations and find somebody who can relate. I don't yeah, want to glance over that, but I don't also don't want to repeat everything you just said. No, I, I understand. I've been going through something a little, uh, another issue on top of that, which is I've been taking a lot of development opportunities, a lot of pitching opportunities, and that has really, really been wearing me down. It has Mm. really, really been wearing me down because as we've discussed on this podcast before, that's free work. It takes a lot of work to get a pitch ready. It takes a lot of work to get a take on a feature film or a TV show idea ready. And I was finding that I was taking on so many of those opportunities that I was really starting to neglect my real paid work. 
And I was getting a little frustrated, a little grumpy, a little agitated by the fact that I would sometimes go two or three days, you know, working on screenwriting stuff, really spending my day doing, you know, doing the work of a screenwriter, but not really doing what I love to do, which is to actually sit down and write script pages, or at the very least, think about stories that I know that I'm actually going to accomplish. And so what was going on with me is every day, man, I was taking on two or three little things. You know, I was taking on this, this pitch meeting or this, uh, you know, this general meeting with somebody who has an idea they want me to come up with a take for. And I would look up and I would say, how did I spend four hours of my morning doing all this, all these things, but feeling like I've accomplished absolutely nothing. That is a really, really frustrating feeling. So I, you know, in sort of an abundance of opportunity, I want to talk a little bit about that later. But what I'll say is that my solution was I hit my reps up and I said, I'm taking a vacation. I said, I'm taking three weeks off. And it's really not a vacation because I still do have projects that I'm being paid for, that I'm contractually obligated to do, that I'm excited about, by the way, that really are fun for me. And so I'm going to be working on those, but I'm not taking any more general meetings. I'm not doing, I'm not taking any development calls. I'm not developing any takes. I'm not coming up with any pitches. I'm just giving myself the freedom to do exactly what I want to do, which is to write. That's what I'm excited about doing, writing, not all the other stuff that contributes to a writing career. Now, go ahead. Can I, well, just just for a second, I just want to jump in real quick and ask so because some one might look at that statement uh, and the whole thing you were just saying it said look sherman like you've you hustled to get into this industry you, you we're talking a few weeks ago on the podcast about just trying to be able to have someone want you to pitch anything yes you know and now you're talking about I've got too many development opportunity or too many development opportunities or obligations. Yes. J- explain like why well, why is that like why aren't you jumping at that? Why isn't that first like- of all? First of all, I'm lit. Yo, I'm lit. Should, should I be <laughs> humble right now? I'm lit, man. People want me to write stuff like. Yo, I, don't, they're really, I don't think anybody listening wants you to be humble at this point. Okay, I think good. Got, I think you got know what you're. Hey, when you click play, you know what you're getting. It's not <laughs> humility, bro. So yes, I'm lit right now, but there is also a sort of dividing line that happens in your career, and this is something I want to talk about. And I do think it sort of speaks to self care and and sort of understanding how you need to work as an artist and what you need in your life. When I was trying to, when I was trying to break in and I was really just, and even after I was, you know, early in my professional career, as an aside, one day, sure, we should talk about the low point of of my career and, and the multiple low points I've had, because this really is an industry of feast and famine. It's an industry of peaks and valleys. I've had recent valleys where, you know, I was thinking about leaving the industry briefly. I, I was thinking about like, yo, this is not really cutting it for me. This is I don't see a financial future here. I, I need to maybe go get a regular gig and write on the side. When I was early on in my career and I did not have a kid, I wasn't even married. I mean, I'm, I was with my wife and she was my girlfriend. I think we were engaged when I was really starting off. The biggest commodity, the biggest thing I needed was opportunity. I needed to like just hoard opportunities. 
any mm-hmm. opportunities like a like a like a like a squirrel, you know, mm-hmm. stashing the nuts for the for the winter. Like I just any opportunity that came, I was like, feed me, just give it mm-hmm. to me. I'll do it. Yeah. I'll try my hardest. I'll not. I'll try to knock it out of the park. I'll try to land the job. Opportunity, opportunity, opportunity. Yeah, I had all the time in the world. I had all the time in the world. So time was not a consideration. Opportunity was was the biggest consideration. As I've you know been able to uh, really hustle for a career, opportunity is way less important to me now than time. And the ability to manage my own time and actually have the time to do one the stuff that I'm excited about, two the stuff I'm getting paid for, and then maybe a distant third finding new opportunities. That's how it's sort of shifted for me. Mm-hmm. It takes a while to mentally catch up to that, right? It, yes. When you're when yes. you're starving, when you're yeah. starving and you're thinking, yo, I just need to eat, 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 eat. Anything that comes through, I got to eat because I don't know when I'm going to get the next meal. Yes. And then it takes a while to shed that mentality when you realize, oh, I have a, I, my fridge is stocked right now. I don't yeah. need to put, I don't need to put anything more in there. I actually, my fridge is stocked and now I need to figure out how I'm going to prepare all this food. For, Dude, that's that, a really belabored analogy, but do you understand no. what I'm saying? I no, that's perfect. It's like the actor that you see that's like blown up, and you see them in like twelve other roles, and you're like, "Why is this motherfucker? Why, why is this person yeah. in these move these terrible yeah. movies or whatever?" Because it's hard to shut off that thing that says, "Hey," just like you said, that says, "Hey," like you actually don't need to do that. Like you, you're 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 eating. You're okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're not starving. You don't have to take every opportunity. Such a great point. And it's hard to know when you're at that point. Well, it takes uh, a while. It just it's sort of yeah. it's not a it's not a switch, right? It's a it's a slow transition. And again, to what we were saying about peaks and valleys, it can turn back at any given moment. At any given moment, you could look up and go, Oh man, these projects that I thought were so stable, these projects that I thought were going to, you know, fill the coffers for the next 18 months, actually they're not going to do that. And now I need to eat again. And I've been in those. I've I've been in those valleys recently. In recent memory, I've been in those valleys. So as much as I'm projecting bravado and confidence now, it's probably to shield the fact that uh, I've had some traumatic experiences in recent memory where that wasn't the case. So sort of talk about what we were, what the overarching idea about this whole conversation about self-care is like, I had to take a look, and this is no bullshit. This is not just bragging or whatever, but like I had to take a look and go like, I'm being run ragged. I'm being run ragged by doing 50 different things and I'm not getting what I want out of it. It's not making me happy. It's not actually making me more money because none of those jobs actually came through. And so what am I doing? What am I doing, man? I need to take a step back. I need to protect myself. I need to have some time to think and to be creative and not just be chasing the job because it's a job, but actually reset and figure out what it is I really want to do. And when I asked myself that question, the answer was, I want to really work on the projects I have. I have two big television projects going right now that I'm very excited about. They're at different stages, so I'm able to juggle them. It doesn't feel like a burden. And I want to write those every day. And then I want to have some relaxing time, man. I want to be able to recharge and rest. I don't want to be just running 
from thing to thing to thing and saying, okay, I got to spend an hour on this meeting and then I have to spend an hour developing this take, but then I have to stop and I have to try to write at least two pages for this other thing. And then I have to stop because I got another meeting coming up with some general meeting and blah and so on and so forth. So I just had to take a minute to recharge, man. Yeah. Need that, man. You need Absolutely. So just to wrap up this talk, I mean, hopefully, Shu, this will be a conversation that we return to again and again. I think we do need to check in with each other every few episodes. And I would love for our listeners to check in with us as well. Let us know how you're doing, how you're maintaining your mental stability and your writing work during this very difficult time. And just know that um, being protective of your time, your energy is not a bad thing. It doesn't mean that you're slacking. We don't exist in jobs uh, as screenwriters where there's necessarily even a weekend. You know, I happen to write seven days a week. Sometimes I have to force myself to take a break. There aren't paid vacations. We have to we have to value our own time because nobody else is going to do it for us. We have to value our own mental health and our own happiness because really there's nobody else to do it for us. So feel free to fight for yourself. Uh, but Shakri, we have another exciting topic to get to today. Yes, which is one of my favorites. Moving. It's a, I've been out uh, speaking to universities, my alma maters, about uh, my film Charm City Kings. And the question that I'm getting from students consistently is, should I move? When do I move? Where do I move to? How can moving from where I am today help me in my screenwriting career. And that question is usually framed, should I move to LA or should I move somewhere else? So I'll I'll just pose the question to you. What do you have to say about moving and where you should live in order to pursue a screenwriting career? I have very clear feelings about this. Then please drop the knowledge, like just drop the bomb, bro. As a writer, and then I'm I'm just speaking to, to, you know, pe- people who are writing at this point. Yes. I'm not talking about actors or crew people or any- anything else. Yeah. You should, wherever you are, there is no reason, in my opinion, to go anywhere else um, unless um, you are going to that place to pursue training in becoming a better screenwriter. So the name of the game, I think, before prior to moving, and I know you might disagree, Sherman, but prior prior to any thought of a move mm-hmm. is to the only thing you should be obsessed with is becoming the best writer possible. That mm-hmm. should be like eating food to you. It should be like I cannot rest or cannot be satiated until I have learned the best practices put myself in a position to be the best written over and over and again to put myself in a position to be the best writer possible. That has nothing to do with where you are. Now, the exception to that is, like I said, if you are moving to said place to pursue classes, to pursue uh, a film school or some sort of degree, mm-hmm. um, okay. Uh, that I think that's that that would go along with point number one, but if you're going to just be in a place and have somebody anoint you because you're in that place, you, you're thinking about this whole thing wrong. 
Okay, but be more specific. Okay, yes, I agree with all everything you're saying in theory, but I think you can be a lot more specific given your own experience because you're a guy okay. who lived in Delaware, outside Philly, <laughs> moved to New York, moved back to Delaware, moved back to New York, and then eventually landed in Los Angeles. Why did you make those decisions when you made them? Okay, so I made I moved from Delaware to New York to go to college, just just to go to college. Okay. So that's now, a typical I, that's a typical move for somebody who's 18. You move out of yes. your parents' house, you go to college. Okay. Got gotcha. nothing to do with screenwriting. Just I okay. mean, I've I, I was going to film school, but I didn't know, you know, whatever. I was just going to college. Don't even dwell on that then. Give me give me yes. to the meat of the screenwriter side of things. Fine. It wasn't until when I came back to I went back to Delaware, as you said, when I came back to New York, that was to work because there's no industry. There's no film industry really in Delaware. So I went back to New York to get a job. Mm -hmm. I ended up working in reality TV and documentary, mainly as an editor. Okay. Then I went, I was there. So I decided I wanted to pursue writing. And here's what I'm saying educational program. I went to graduate school in New York. Right. Okay. Once I was still there, then as as we were graduating, uh, you graduated before me, but as we were graduating, then the question was, I knew I wanted to be a television writer. That's what I had focused on. Then the question became, do you go to L.A.? Right. Because that's where all the quote jobs are, which is true, by the way. That is where they most of them are. And I made the decision based on some advice. Absolutely not. I would not just move. I would move when I would go to the party when somebody sent me an invitation to the party. So the, otherwise, so- what's the purpose? So just to be clear, you knew that you wanted to be a television writer. Yes. You knew that L.A. was where television writers exist for the most part. I mean, you know, somebody's going to point out some exceptions. Yes, course, I know I know yeah. there are a few rooms in New York. I know there are a few rooms popping up in Atlanta, but 95% of the industry is still in Los Angeles. So you knew that that's where L.A. was where it was popping, and you yeah. didn't just pack up and go. Why? Yes, and I should, I should say I knew that that was a risk, but the – quote a, a quote unquote risk mm-hmm. but i felt like of all the advice and things that i heard i felt like the best advice was keep writing become the best writer mm. when you when you become as you become as you become a better and better writer and, and pursue opportunities you will be invited to the party and when they invite you to the party then go to the party don't just show up at the party or show up in los angeles What's the difference? What are, what are they going to do in Los Angeles that you can't do where you where you are? You don't have a job, right? So that's that was my so philosophy. okay. So then, you know, I'll talk about my experience, but I want to challenge you a little bit, right? Because if I'm listening to this, I'm going, well, how do you know when you're invited to the party? What is when what does a, a party job. invitation look like? When you get a job. Oh, oh, oh. Okay, I I know where you're going. Go, go, go ahead. Because I think yeah, there is an yes. Well, because. Because, Shu, I know your story, bro. You did get a job in Los Angeles. You got your staff writing job in LA, your first TV writing job, I think your first reputable screenwriting experience. Mm -hmm. And you did not move to LA. Can you explain that? Yes, but that was more, (laughs) that was more because I was, uh, I was married. I I mean, I am married to the same person, but I, I, 
if I were, if it were just, that was just because it wasn't up to me at the time. But that is an example. I was not planning to move until I got my first job. Now, I got a manager, which we talked about in the last episode, prior to getting my first job. When I got my first staffing job, even when I flew out to L.A. for the interview with the showrunner, mm-hmm. they had no idea that I didn't live in Los Angeles. We, we had decided not to tell them. And we even moved the, the time of the meeting because it was too early in the morning for me to fly out there. So we moved it to the afternoon, still with them no, I, not knowing I live in New York, not in L.A., just so there wouldn't be any bias. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the only reason, once I got that job, the only reason I didn't move from New York was because I was married. My wife had a great job in Los Angeles, um, excuse me, in New York, mm-hmm. and I just wasn't going to move her on what was just a job at that point, not necessarily a career. And so when did you feel comfortable making the actual move? Because at some point you did, with your wife, move to Los Angeles. Yes. When did we you feel decided, comfortable? I, I decided feeling, I felt comfortable after, it wasn't even that job. That job, which was uh, Satisfaction on USA, lasted two seasons. I, both of those seasons I did living in New York and, and living temporarily in Los Angeles while I was uh, on the show for those five months. Mm-hmm each year. Then I was out of work for a year. And when I came back to work on the Vampire Diaries, then I moved, we moved to Los Angeles and became permanent. Got you. It was my third job uh, or third season, second job. So I felt like, hmm, this might be a career. I was now an executive story editor. Maybe things are going well. Okay, let's move. Got you. Well, I, I mean, listen, I can talk about my own experience. I didn't follow your advice. You know, I I didn't wait until I got a job. And, uh, you know, I think you're probably right. I think I probably came out of here. I came out here a shade too early. Um, My experience was I graduated from grad school. I had already signed with a manager in L.A., but I was still living in New York. And what was happening was I was getting set up with these phone call meetings. You know, this is sort of on the other side of the digital divide when, yeah, we had Skype. I think we probably had FaceTime at that point, but people really weren't doing video teleconferencing the way we are now with Zoom, obviously. And so I was getting set up with these phone calls, taking these general meetings over the phone from New York City, and it was horrible. It was just like, <laughs> it was horrible. It was, a ho- it was I mean, the, the meetings were okay, I guess, but it, there is really no um, replacing meeting somebody in person for the first time. There really is no replacing walking into that office, sharing a smile and a handshake, and getting to know somebody in person. It's much, much more awkward over the phone, and it doesn't yield the same results. I sort of had to go through that to understand that in Los Angeles, I think it's out of sight, out of mind. And I think that I would have these calls, and then nothing would come of it because I was just this guy in New York who they had one phone call with. I was not a serious writer in Los Angeles who they actually met face to face. So I was feeling that although I was getting lots of meetings and although I had secured management, that doing the thing from New York wasn't really going to work for me. Simultaneously, I had a lot of buddies who had made the jump from New York to Los Angeles, and their uh, careers were moving much faster than mine. Mm. And so I started to put two and two together and think that Los Angeles is where I needed to be in order to get my career really going. I also felt like I was living and working in New York. I had a great job 
in New York at a museum, which was centered on filmmaking. I also felt like I was, even though I love that job, I felt like it would be very easy for me to get comfortable there, to get a couple promotions and raises, and then in two or three years have built a life with that career that was mm. impossible to get out of. Mm. Mm. So I pulled, you know, I pulled the cord and I looked at my fiance at the time, now wife, and said, yo, we got to go. Mm. We got to go now or else I don't think I'm ever going to go. And we went and it probably was a little too early, Shakri. You know, I came out here. I worked a part-time job as an office administrator for an education company. I coordinated a lot of shippings, sent a lot of packages through FedEx, did a lot of busy work. (laughs) And I wrote in the morning every day. And my career was not taking off in some fast fashion. I was really grinding as 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 a struggling writer, you know, just working to make ends meet. My wife, luckily, had a secure job, so that uh, at least made our pay consistent, but it was a real grind. And I wonder, had I stayed in New York, and I don't have the answer to this, had I stayed in New York, would I have been able to launch my career the same way, or would I still be working at that museum, writing on the mm-hmm. side, sending Shakri drafts and letting me know, you know, say, Shakri, let me know if you want to pass this on to your reps for me. <laughs> yeah, right. I don't know. You don't know the answer to that. By the way. You know, I don't know. Would you, what? It, it, well, look, I'll put, I'll, let me refine one point, which is related to what you said. I do think there is, the bias is real. So when you talk about like having, um, having these phone meetings and having people not take you as seriously or feel like that maybe they're not because it's not in person and also... I think that is also because I think there is this conscious and unconscious bias that if you don't live in Los Angeles, you must not be taking this seriously. Mm -hmm. And I think people read that. I think that's total bullshit, but I think people do read that that way. So I just want to be clear that I think like a, a method, of course, there are millions of ways to do this. A method, um, if you don't want to be in LA, or, or don't see the purpose of it, a method is to just front like you are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've always said like the philosophy I used that worked, I mean, obviously there's more ways than one that I think worked for me was I always had this metaphor, like I would date LA, but I was not going to marry her. Not yet. Oh, you weren't going to wife LA yet? You weren't going to wife LA? I wasn't going to wife LA. So what did date mean for me? Well, date meant that like I would visit often. I had a lot of friends out here. Sure, can I, I would... stop you? Yes, sorry. Let me stop you real quick because I'll tell you that visiting LA would have been financially impossible for me. At that time that I was living in New York, I had a good job with a good salary for somebody who was in their mid-20s. But New York rents are crazy. And yeah. all my salary was going to rents. The idea that I could just gone to LA to visit is totally impractical for me at that time. So- what do you, I mean, I, I don't, you know, I know some people can scrounge together that money and it, and it works out just fine for them. And they're like, what's $500? I can do it. But I think for a lot of young people who are really eager to get their career started, that's, you know, a lot of money. And that could really set them back for a couple months if they had to spend that money out of pocket. What do you say to them? I, I think that's valid. Um, I think that's valid. I mean, I was, I'm trying to think back now of the times I visited. I probably visited, at most, 
you know, from 2000, I, I visited maybe once a year um, mm-hmm. at, at most. And I, I would just, I mean, I was not making much money either. I agree. Yeah. But I, I managed to scratch up enough to at least, you know, come out and stay on somebody's couch for a little bit. Word. What I would say to those people is that, you know, you do what you got to do. If you can't get out there, that's not a that's not a deal breaker. Right. Um, then just stay where you are. Um, you know, some people have done the things I've heard of people doing the thing like, you know, they take out a cell phone and, with a L.A. number. You yeah. know what I mean? Which is now easily achievable because there are tons of phone apps where you can get an internet-based <laughs> phone number. and You don't even actually have to get the actual cell phone. Exactly. Use your buddy's address who might live here or something, you know. I've heard of people doing that. Um, and I think, I, anyway, I, the the bigger point really, I think, is that with the moving thing is that I, I think it's a little deeper than just moving and being in a place. For me, mm-hmm. like, I think, because I don't think Sherman, like, well, I'm curious to think what you, because you said you think you moved too early, but it worked out for you. So, yeah, but do the ends justify the means? Like, could I have, uh, because first of all, my career started in movies. So I wasn't even actually chasing a television room. I was started, I, my first professional uh, money that I got in screenwriting was selling a movie. So I can tell you that I probably could have sold that, I could have written that movie in New York, certainly. And I probably could have sold that movie from New York. So I don't know that I, I, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, but I don't know that I had to be out here to do everything that I did and to get my career started. Well, I want to make a point and then switch to to a question okay. to, to you, okay? Because the the deeper point that I think it, it the moving question really revolves around because mm-hmm. I think what people are asking when they what they're really asking when they're asking about that is like, is how can I be somewhere that's going to help me make it or help me to get my break. Yes. And I guess what I'm saying in a nutshell is that getting your break, in my humble opinion, or a break, has little to nothing to do with physically where you are. I don't think, you know, you, I don't think being next to greatness, for example, makes you great. Yeah, I, I don't think because LA is great, bro. I mean, no, but I just mean as a yeah. metaphor. Yeah, okay. You know what I mean? Like, I so I'm next. So I play next to Michael Jordan. Am I? My, am I any closer to Michael? No. So I'm in LA. Shout out, shout out so, Craig Hodges. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I'm in LA. Does that make me like? I, I mean, the 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 inside of a studio is still thousands of miles away, even though you might live next door. It yeah, doesn't. I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah, you can come to LA and do the same. You know, I'm from Ohio. You can come to LA and be doing the same shit that you were doing in Dayton, except now your rent is five times as much. So here's the question off of that, though, because that's my personal belief. Yeah. But question off of that is, I do think there is something to being a part of the community of people doing similar things. Was that part of your calculus when you decided to make that move? Because there is, I do believe there is something to that. Uh, I think a lot of it was FOMO, man, fear of missing out. You know, I really did have close friends who were getting their career started. 
you know, I really did have close friends who were getting movies made and getting staffed on television shows. And I felt like one of the variables that caused their career to get some traction versus my career was the fact that they were geographically in Los Angeles. Uh, I can't tell you if that's right or wrong. I mean, honestly, who knows? We can't go back and change the past and, and really figure it out. But um, it is what it is, man. I did make that jump, and it has worked out for me in the sense that it's worked out for me that I've been able to form a screenwriting career. Um, and so, you know, I don't know. Is the proof in the pudding? Do the ends justify the means? I actually don't have an answer for that. I'm just sharing my experience and some of the questions that I have looking back in hindsight. So to wrap this topic up, how do you think the the future of this question looks? Because now everybody's, you know, on Zoom anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, technology, even in the like 10 years or whatever it's been since we, you know, kind of had a little break into the our first breaks into the business, even technology has changed even since then. Um, and, you know, you, you read about people even before COVID writers rooms with, you know, some somebody Skyping in from London, you know, in the writer's room. So yeah. how does all this question factor in like now? Do you think it's the answers are different? I mean, I think the the real answer is nobody knows yet. You know, nobody knows yet. It's going to take a couple years for the dust to settle. Hopefully we'll have a vaccine and we'll be looking at this COVID era and we'll say, what are the things we can take forward going home in terms of telecommuting and video conferencing? And what are the things that we want to return back to the old way? The answer is nobody knows. I, I know a lot of writers who are, uh, you know, we talked to Gina Atwater, who is a professional, reputable L.A. writer who is now doing it from Atlanta. The difference mm-hmm. is she was established. She had already made those connections. She had already done several seasons of television. And now she's reaping the benefits of being able to call in from wherever she wants. If you're an aspiring writer who hasn't established yourself, can you launch an L.A. career from wherever your hometown is? I don't have the answer to that, shoe. I really don't. I don't even know how to calculate that. There's no answer yet. Right. But, yo, one thing we can. Well, actually, I don't know if we agree on this. I'm telling you, man, I have a plan for my career, and my plan involves parachuting the fuck out of L.A. for sure. There's no question about that. I know. You told me this before offline. And oh, I, yeah. first of all, I don't believe you. <laughs> I don't think you're ever going to pull off that plan successfully. I've got to do it, bro. I've got to do it. Why? Because why? I've always looked at this like if I'm lucky enough to get into this business and I'm lucky enough to succeed a bit, then I'm going to treat this thing like, you know, know when to know when to get in and do the work and know when to fold. And there's going to come a time where, you know, you don't want to be the old man at the club and I'm going to do my thing as best I can. And when it's time to dip, I'm going to dip the fuck out and I'm going to be ghost. Let me tell you and something. I'll teach somewhere in some university and be perfectly happy that's it. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I don't want to name drop and I don't want to put somebody's story on blast, but I will tell you a very, very successful TV producer that we all, that we both know told me that he tried to do that. He was well-established. He was killing it. And he wanted to uh, try somewhere else for a little bit, try to raise his kids somewhere else. 
and mm-hmm. tried it for a year, he's back in LA, shoe. <laughs> he's back. But why? What happened? We'll talk offline. I'll just say okay. that I think it's easier okay. said than done because what you you are making so many connections and uh, career. It's like a you're like a tree planting its roots, and the mm-hmm. longer you're here the harder it is going to be to uproot that tree. And so we'll see. We'll see. I mean, you know, hopefully this podcast goes on for 10 years and we'll see. We'll see in 2030 if Shu's still here or if he broke the fuck out. <laughs> I think I got 10, I got nine, I got 10 or 11 years left on my uh, WGA pension before I could start to collect a pension. So it'll be somewhere around there. Uh, last thing I want to say, and I think we should move on to don't do that shit. And I'll get your input on this too, Shu. Is it valid to move as a writer? Is it valid to try to make the move to anywhere but Los Angeles? I mean, is there any point to, if you're going to move to pursue a screenwriting career, are there other places to be besides Los Angeles? I think it is a valid consideration. Look, I've always felt that, you know, I mean, I grew up a bit in New York having moved there when I was 17 and I spent most of my adult life there. Mm-hmm. And I still to this day feel like it is a far more creative place and a creative community, far more than Los Angeles is. Um, yeah. Now, I think that has cha- changed a little bit over the last couple of years, but but I, I still just think that the amount of creative people, uh, business, industry culture that's in new york is just far outweighs los angeles at this point um so i think new york is always a great place um i think you know we have to separate television is just it's just hard because there are literally writing rooms and 90 percent of them are in los angeles Mm -hmm. but other kinds of writing and even television writing i think if you're willing to just come to la when there's a job then i think you can be a bunch of other places i think one should look to be where they feel most creatively um inspired and able to do their thing you know i told it i i'll just really quick like you know we talked about the first two just to relate my own experience the first two seasons of the first show i was on you know i wrote all four of the episodes that i had to do i wrote them in the columbia university library because I felt really connected to New York and connected to that place. And that's where I like to do creative work. And so I would leave LA when mm-hmm. they, I was assigned my script and fly to New York, even though that's where I had my wife, my wife was there. So it wasn't like I was going to Alaska, but I would fly there and plant myself in that chair and write those episodes because that's where I felt creatively connected. So go where that is, you know? Yeah, I want to differ just a little bit. I want to say that if you're going, you're right now, faithful listener, you know, you're somewhere in Iowa or you're from my home state of Ohio and you're considering where to move in order to uh, further your screenwriting career. If you're going to move, and I'll get back to if you should or not, if you're going to move, there's a there's a list of 10 places you should go. Here's the list. <laughs> One through nine, Los Angeles. 10 maybe barely hanging on New York. That's the list. There's nowhere else to go. Otherwise, stay home. Stack your money. Write the best possible scripts you can 
at your desk or in your bedroom or wherever you write at the coffee shop. All you need is your laptop and yourself. Pump out great work. And then when you hear the siren call of Los Angeles, go. If you don't hear that siren call, keep pumping out great work. I want to discourage, I mean, this is my personal point of view. I'm not, you know, I, we said we're not going to do like lessons and talk down to people. So this is just my personal point of view. I sometimes see people move to other cities where production is popping off, right? Like right now, everything is shooting in, in Atlanta, especially if you're a black show. Like the whole industry is shooting in Atlanta. But things aren't necessarily written there, maybe with the exception of Tyler Perry and what he's doing. And does he even have writers? He seems to write everything himself. So really, a lot of those shows are written in Los Angeles. The hiring is done in Los Angeles. The people you need to know to break into those rooms is in Los Angeles, even if all the production is in Atlanta. So Atlanta is great for grips or ADs or you know unit production managers or makeup and hair. But I don't think that a place like Atlanta or Vancouver or any of these other hotspots that pop up are actually great for writers. So I would just caution people into sort of making a big move and investing your money into moving someplace that really isn't going to pay you the dividends of a benefit of, of real career, uh, a chance to set off your career in a real way. I co-sign that 100%. I, I realize I misunderstood part of your question. Yes. I think if you're, if you're from Atlanta or you're from Memphis or you're from where you've, wherever and you feel creatively inspired there you don't have to move yet you know like sherman said be the be i think be the best writer you can become um but i wouldn't move to you know miami right for what you know right exactly okay good we're i think we're on the same page agree uh sure it's time to wrap this episode up uh and with a little segment that we like to call don't do that shit do I need to keep explaining don't do that shit? Yeah. Okay. Don't do that shit is where we explain to you what not to do craft-wise, career-wise, industry-wise. We just, little tongue-in-cheek, tell you what not to do so that you can hopefully make your writing and your career go a little bit smoother. Should would you like me to go first or would you like to go first? You go first. Don't do this shit. Don't stay inside your safe viewing bubble. Hmm. I talk to a lot of people in the Los Angeles Hollywood industry, and I get a little tired with everybody making the same references. Oh, this is going to relate to mine perfectly. This okay. is great. It's like, yes, we've all seen the Marvel movies. Is that all you're going to reference? Yes, I know you grew up on Star Wars. Is that all you're going to reference? You know, if you're in the, in the black side of the industry and you love those uh, sort of snappy, low-budget black suspense thrillers romantic thrillers yes okay i know that you want to write those so you're referencing what is that one called fatal affair or whatever it was called that just came out no on netflix come on shoe get with it it's a black version it's a black version but what i'm saying what'd you say what the tyler perry one no shoe fatal affair i don't even know what this is all right fatal affair is a psychological thriller Stars, Nia Long, Omar Epps, oh, Fatal shit. Affair. I, I've never even heard of this. What I'm saying is, don't just watch the stuff that perfectly correlates to what you want to write. Expand your horizons, man. Watch some stuff you don't like. Let me run that back. Watch some stuff you don't like. You think professional athletes 
like doing suicide drills? No, they mm-hmm. don't. But they got to do it. You think my son likes eating his vegetables? No, he doesn't. But he's got to do it. So don't just come to me with the easy, poppy, super popular references or the references that just perfectly coincide with what you want to write or the story we're talking about. You know, if you like suspense thrillers, tell me about a Chabral film. You don't even know who Chabral is. Look him up. He's been doing the suspense thriller thing before you were probably even born. Tell me about some movies before 1960. Reference a film noir. Reference something other than just what you saw in the multiplex five years ago. I get so sick of talking about the same exact references over and over and over again. So don't do that shit. Don't just exist inside your viewing bubble. Expand your horizons, and you're going to sound like the smartest person in the room. That's a great one. That's really great. Uh, Mine is somewhat related, and I think you may... We'll see. You may disagree with this one, Sherman. We, I know we've talked about it, but I can't remember what your opinion is. Okay, so, lay it on me. My don't do that shit this week is, in order to become a better screenwriter, don't read a bunch of scripts. I know Ooh, that's the advice. Wait, I gotta that, see. I gotta see, brother Shu. I gotta see where you're going with this one. I know that's the advice that people give you. I know people sit up on panels and say that over and over and over. What you need to do is read a bunch of scripts. You need to read all the scripts that are out there. Blah, 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 blah. In my humble opinion, that does nothing except for serve to make anything that you think about and come up with more and more derivative of other screenplays that you have read or become accustomed to. Mm. The, um, I think reading screenplays to a certain extent, a small amount of them is good. And, and to do it over, you know, over time is good because you get to see how people do different craft things, how they work with action description, how they utilize dialogue, how they move from scene to scene. I think those things are valuable. And I think you can get that from reading a handful of scripts, less than 10 probably in your life. <laughs> I, I really believe that. I think you can get all you need to get from from that, uh, along with your own education. Uh-huh. If you want to read things to improve as a screenwriter, read books. Pen Game, which Sherman and I often talk about, mm-hmm. Pen Game is at an ultra, ultra high level in literature. Uh, not all literature, of course, but uh, this is where characters live. This is where expression lives. This is where prose and the turning of a phrase lives. In in those two, three, four, five hundred pages, if in my humble opinion, stop reading fucking screenplays and just mimicking them. If you want to really, really, really get into pen game and character, mm. you should read books. I, I cannot totally agree with that, Shu. But what I will say is I, I, I would actually encourage people to – I don't want to hijack your don't do that shit, but I would encourage <laughs> people to read a lot of scripts but also read a lot of everything else. You know, I, I think you should read a lot of scripts, but I do don't think you should. Don't read a lot of scripts. Don't read a lot of scripts. Okay. We're going to disagree. Don't, okay, don't we'll just disagree. But can I encourage – don't read, like, you don't need to read. A, what, what, read a lot of scripts for what? Uh, 
because I think that you start to get the rhythm of how movies and, and screenplay writing works. And I don't think that you can totally get that from reading novels. I do think you can learn a lot no, about the abstract theories of characterization and phraseology no. and how to set and up a stories. center. And stories. And stories. Yes. Stories. The vast, major- the vast range of stories are found in the world of books. I'm not here to argue with you, man. Uh, your <laughs> opinion is valid, too. <laughs> Just tell you. That's sort of like... Well, whatever. I would also like to encourage people to read long form journalism, read the news, like a, oh, great, I agree. a great window into our society and how things work. Like, I just, it, it sort of goes back to what I was saying. Don't just be in your viewing bubble. If all you can talk about is movies, you're whack. I if agree. all you can talk about is TV, you're whack. If all you can talk about is, you know, that hot script from last year, mm. who cares? There you go. That's Shu's opinion. Point, the whole point. The whole point is to try to do something different. Word. Not to just consume the same things and then to regurgitate them. That's my ultimate point. I agree with that point. I agree with that ultimate point. Shu, right. you dropped the. You, listen, I think that that's a that's your opinion and it's valid. And it's I the can't. First, this might be the first hard disagreement. I, it's it's a soft disagree because I do agree that. Here's where I agree. People should not just read scripts the same way that people should just not watch the movies they're comfortable watching. That I totally agree with. 100% we are in lockstep. Don't just read scripts. I will say that I do think there is value to reading a lot of scripts. So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll agree value, to disagree. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Maybe the work. I, you know what's really valuable? Reading shitty scripts. That's really valuable. I I've never read that. a great script and been like, oh, man. I, I do that. I, Yo, dude. I mean, it's probably why we have a segment called Don't Do That Shit, because we both agree that, like, what you can learn from not doing certain things and learn, like, what to stay away from is yeah. very, very valuable. Yeah. yeah. I read a shitty script and I go, ugh, I hope my, I hope my third act isn't like that. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the diversity hires you can find us across all social media twitter instagram facebook at div hires pod i am your host sherman Payne, and i am shukri hassan tillman this show is produced by the wonderful august k burton akb and yes please follow share you can find us uh, at thediversityhires.com, all the latest episodes. And feel free to write us because, you know, maybe there's something that you want talked about on the podcast or a question that you might have for us. Feel free to always hit us up, subscribe and like us on social media and come back next week for another episode of The Diversity Hires. See you then. Anywhere you find podcasts. Peace, y'all. <laughs>